Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. In celebration of the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney's image will take the place of Ben Franklin on the $100 bill through June of 2024. All the men were dressed in white leotard outfits. After about the third day, they called us all in. They said, look, we're going to have to shoot the first three days over again. They came to us and they told us that we all had to wear cups oh. because in those white outfits. You could see all your business. And there's a picture of me floating somewhere on the Internet of that. And you sure do. You see all the jewels. That's an excerpt from today's guest talking about being on the crew of the Enterprise in the first Star Trek movie. Gene Poe was born and raised in Virginia and went to VCU to major in theater, which is where we met. He spent most of his career in L.A. as an extra in movies and TV shows. In the first of two parts, Gene tells us about posing for Playgirl magazine, being a hand model in over a thousand commercials, playing a hippie in Fellini's Roma, and spending two weeks with Andy Warhol. And there are lots of other great stories in part two. Sifter Review of the Week Clark on Netflix You've heard the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, but probably didn't know that this series' title character is responsible for it. Clark Olofsson is a controversial criminal and notorious bank robber in Sweden, whose exploits include numerous other crimes as well as jailbreaks from the subsequent sentences. Bill Sarsgaard captures the role with aplomb, full of joyful mischief, unwavering conviction, and energetic thrills. The series romps along, detailing his exploits with vigor and tossing in a few cinematic side trips like animation and a dance tribute to Saturday Night Fever. The story, which is billed as Based on Truth and Lies, is endlessly fascinating, and Skarsgård's tour de force performance makes it even more engaging. I gave Clark four out of five stars. Okay, Gene Poe, let's go. You know, this is my first time doing this. Oh, well, I'm glad I could be divergenize you in some way after all these years. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're doing it, and thank you so much for doing this. So we're going to talk about a lot of things, and I know you were raised in Virginia, and you had an interesting background here, but I noticed one of the things that was on your bio was that you posed in Playgirl. What was that about? Well, um, I was living in L.A. I was having a lot of photographs taken, you know, for the resume and for agents and everything, and one of the photographers said to me, he said, have you ever thought about posing for Playgirl? And I was like, uh, no. He says, do you mind if I take some photographs and send them to Playgirl in Century City? And I went, okay. I was very easy in those days. Right, right. They're in the 70s. <laughs> they got all 70s. And so I get a call and they said, we'd like to photograph you. They told me, of course, there would be nude shots. And they were going to pay me $300. Wow. <laughs> I mean, for me, Which was a lot of money in the 70s when you're a broke actor, right? Oh, totally. I was yeah. like, wow, Okay. They told me that the room was going to be cold because back in those days, they could not show any excitement. Right. And it came out. I became the sensuous man. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I mean. <laughs> well, it's better but, than being uh, the ugly man or the, the stupid man or the man with a small dick or something. No, it wasn't the last one. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so did that, I mean, did you, what kind of repercussions did you get from that? Because I know you're trying to be an actor. Did it make a difference? No, it didn't make any difference at all. Not even to my mom or my grandmother. I, of course, would not do anything like porno. Although on my resume, it says that I did. Oh, really? Yes, because 
I was friends with the four tops, their, uh, their sons, and they had gone on tour and they came back and I saw them and they were like really excited to see me. And they said, oh my God, we were in Europe and we were watching this porno and you're in it. Oh, wow. Uh, no, uh, not me. And I said, well, describe what I'm doing. They said, well, you had your throat cut. Oh. My, my throat cut. Then I remembered one of the first films that I was in when I came to Hollywood was a little independent film where I was photo doubling a British actor that would not come to L.A. Footnote. Just to clarify, a photo double is the substitute of another actor when their face isn't shown, often used for nude shots. And a stand-in takes the place of a star for technical stuff like lighting and camera setup. And in this scene, I'm working on a, on a clock. And then someone comes up behind me and they cut my throat. Uh-huh. That was it. But I found out that a lot of porno producers will take pieces of film and they would edit it into their porno films to make give more length or something or another. Wow. And wow. that's how I ended up in this porno film. They added you because they needed more length, right? That, yeah. To go back to our original joke. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I've been asked if I wanted to remove that off of my MDB. And I said, oh, no. I find it quite exciting that somebody might think that I would be in this film. <laughs> so it's still there. That's crazy. Well, now you mentioned your mother and your grandmother, and I know you were a country boy growing up in out in oh, Virginia. Southern Baptist. Oh, yes. And then you went to VCU. Went to VCU. And as you know, it, it was a great time. You look back now and VCU was fantastic. The people that we knew and went to school with, awesome people. Speaking of which, hold on. Somebody wants to say hello from those days. David Caleb. Yes, Caleb. Footnote. David Califf majored in theater at VCU along with Gene. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Hey, Gene. So obviously it's, it's ironic because we were just talking about going to VCU when you dialed in. So what are some of the things you remember about Gene from way back in those days? Oh, gosh. We were all young, very young. But Gene just looked so beautiful and young. That was the, the thing. Now, I know you were in Boys in the Band with Gene. What do you remember about that experience? Footnote. Boys in the Band was a controversial play about a group of gay men when it premiered in 1968, so Barksdale was taking a risk. Oh, it was lovely. It was fun. We were doing dangerous theater back then. I mean, this is 1970, 71. Uh, that was considered dangerous theater back then. It was, and you were one of the straight guys in the show. I asked uh, Jay Lundy, who was directing... And also gay. Uh, I asked him, I said, well, what sort of gay person am I? And he said, well, you're just going to be the good old American queer. <laughs> so what do you remember about Gene in that show? He was funny and, and incredibly handsome, which enhanced the role that he was playing. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. See you, Dave. You too, Gene. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's jump back to VCU. What do you remember about those days, back in the crazy days of theater? I remember Hodges. Footnote. Raymond Hodges was the founder and first chair of VCU's theater department. I liked him very much, and he called me in, on the, like, in the junior year. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he says, Gene, you're never going to make it as an actor. Wow. And I'm going to put you into directing. And so I left there, and I was so angry. I was so angry. It was like, how dare you tell me what I'm not going to do? I look back now and I think that his whole purpose was to drive me, to make me get mad because the next time 
I mean, I went out for Boys in the Band, and after Boys in the Band, I directed two shows of the senior year and won awards, you know, for both of them. Right. I still think today that he saw something in me that needed to be poked, and he did it. We're going to still talk about being an extra or a background actor, but I saw one other thing on your resume I thought was interesting. You were also a hand model for a while. I know yes. what that is, but tell the audience what that is and what's involved in that. Of course, when I arrived, I got into L.A. and Hollywood. I did anything I could for a living. Working on a commercial one day as background, pretending I'm working on a computer. The director came over to me at the end of the day and he said, we'd like to do some hand shots of your hands. I said, I, what are you talking about? I don't, he said, well, just come back tomorrow and we'll do some shots. And I was like, okay. So next day I came in and he says, okay, you're going to be typing on the computer and we're going to be focusing on your hands. I was there for like an hour or two. And he says, okay, that's it. Thank you. And got a full check. At the time I had a little agent and I went to them and I said, oh yeah, yesterday I did all this hand stuff. She says, oh my God, you're a hand model. That started my career as a hand model, which I did for like five years. Wow. I did over a thousand commercials, hand commercials, a lot of famous ones. Huh. Hand models don't last long. You have a very short career. So if something happens to your hands or in my case, I had to have surgery done on my back, which then caused me to have a tremor. Oh, wow. You can, cannot do hand modeling obviously, your hands obviously. tremor. So that was the end of that. I always remember when I shot something for Reynolds Metals years ago. It was actually an interesting video. It was on how to use aluminum foil for people in China because it was a new product. And <laughs> one of the things I remember about the hand model, because it was all it was hand model work, in between shots, she always held her hands up to keep the blood from constantly running down her hands. Is that one of the little tricks that you learned along the way? Well, let me tell you, I've known a lot of hand models. Well, a lot of them were gloves or they won't let anybody touch your hand. It's, it's all BS. Yeah, it's right, BS. Right. As you learn your profession, you learn all kinds of tricks of the trade. Right. I mean, I learned tricks that I would pull on directors because most of the time they don't know exactly what they want right, until right. you do it and they go, okay, that's it. What's one example of a trick like that? Well, you always had to hit a mark. Right. So what I would do while people were busy or whatever, now, I would take and make a little scratch. I would do something where I would be able to come in and I would hit that mark every time perfectly on. But I mean, I did everything. I did uh, hand pulls, which were like for pizza. You had to reach in and that pizza <laughs> is hot. Oven. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you pull it out. And then as soon as they say cut, you put your hand into ice water to cool it down. Remember the orange commercials where you always saw the straw sticking in the orange? Right. Uh, yeah, sure. I did all of those. And that day I did like four different commercials with, that was Hebrew, that was Chinese, that blah, blah, blah. They came back and I said, okay, you did four commercials, four commercials, hand modeling. And at that day I went in over like $3,000. Yeah, there you okay, go. It was, but they wouldn't have told you if you didn't ask. So now you, obviously you became, what I knew you most for is being an extra, which they now call background actors. Yes. Uh, so uh -huh. I'm going to ask you how you got into that field. But first of all, tell me, how did that go from being an extra to being a background actor? How did that change of phrase come around? Do you know? People wanted to make it sound more or better than it is. Right, right. To me, being called an extra, it's okay. It doesn't bother me. Being called right. a background actor, that's okay. You know, as long as you pay me. That's right. My whole purpose has been money, Jerry. Right. You know, like you said, I came up poor. 
going to VCU, I worked as a hairdresser to pay for my schooling. Right, right at Irvin's, right there in Carytown. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. God, I love that old man. So did the change happen when the merger of SAG and SEG happened, or did it just happen somewhere else, or do you know? Oh, Jerry, let me tell you. Politics, politics, politics. Footnote. SAG is the Screen Actors Guild, and SEG was the Screen Extras Guild. As you know, I was on the board of directors of the Screen Actors Guild. I was president of the Screen Extras Guild. Right. And I was also on the board of directors of the health and pension plan of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. So over the years, I really got involved. If I had it to do over again today, I don't think I would because it really hurt me career-wise. People didn't want you around on the set. They knew that you knew what was going on. Right, right. um, The Screen Extras Guild, a lot of people wanted our union because of our pension and our health plan. Even the Tinksters tried to take us over at one time. And and so they, they lost interest in us. But the Screen Actors Guild, who had given money to the extras back in the 40s to form their own union, didn't want to have anything to do with them at the time. But as years went by, they wanted to control everything that was in front of the camera. And when you're negotiating with producers, the more cards you have to play, the greater you know, right. the, what you're going to get. And so uh, they wanted to take over the, the Screen Extras Guild. We had a vote. It was voted down. A year later. We had another vote. It was voted down. Hmm. The Screen Actors Guild told us at the time, we're going to get you anyway. And so the next time when we went to negotiate with the producers, they got up and walked away from the table and they said, you're on your own. Goodbye. Wow. The producers turned to us and said, "Okay, we'll give you nothing. We will destroy you. We will make you all become non-union. And within about six months, they did it. They stopped using us. You know, we had no money coming in, nothing. The screen actors then came back and said, we'll save you. We'll take you over now and you'll become part of the screen actors guild. And they took our pension and they took our health plan. Um, Politics, I tell you, uh, in the I love I love unions. But let me tell you, the politics in the entertainment unions is just like what you see in Washington. You know, I know you started in your career to be an actor, but how did you decide, Okay, I don't need to be the number one on the call sheet? I had just come back from doing the lead in the dirty showing town in Hawaii, had no money. Uh, Somebody told me, they said, why don't you work as an extra? I said, what is that? They said, you know, all those people you see running around in movies and things. How do I do that? They said, go down to central casting and sign up, which central casting is still the biggest, you know, extra casting agency. They signed me up. I, the very next day, I was going out working as a background. Had no idea what I was doing or anything. Because, you know, Jerry, when we were in school, they didn't teach us anything about unions. Right. right. Unions, we didn't even know. Or about on camera, really, back in those days. Right. You find out very quickly that if you don't become a member of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, now it's sag after, you're not going to go anywhere. Uh, my first big film was working for uh, Robert Wise on the Hindenburg. Footnote. Prolific director Robert Wise was best known for The Sound of Music and the original West Side Story. He also directed Hindenburg in 1975. They shaved all my hair off with about a uh, hundred other guys and shipped us down to Orange County where we were going to sh- uh, shoot the scene of the Hindenburg coming in and uh-huh. it was going to explode. 
No one had ever told me, you don't speak to the director. I saw Robert Wise. I knew who he was. I went right up to him and introduced myself. <laughs> and the first AD went crazy. I'm sure. Yelling at me. But Mr. Wise was really nice. He says, uh, says, nice to meet you. Later on, when they were setting up the big shot, and he had his megaphone standing up there on a truck, yelling to everybody, saying, there's no sound, but I'm going to be telling you all what to do. He saw me standing there and he goes, Poe, Gene Poe, come over here. Like a little puppy, I go running over. He says, I'm going to put you up on that truck over there. You're going to be the cameraman. They're going to dress you up. And when the Hindenburg comes on and explodes, I want you to be filming like crazy, okay? Because we're going to be doing some close-ups on you. Yes, sir. Robert Wise, three years later, he sees me over at Fox. He's picking out the crew for Star Trek, the first movie. Right. And he sees me and he says, Gene, how are you doing? I'm going, oh, Mr. Wise, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? He turns to 80. He says, he's on the crew. Never forgot me. I wow. He was a wonderful man. That's impressive. Let's talk about that because I know that you were in the crew. And when you said he was in the crew, you didn't mean the technical. You mean the crew of the Star Trek Enterprise. Yes. You were in the crew. Did you get to do anything cool or just stand there in, in the cool suit? Because I've seen no, the picture. Well, it- one thing cool about the suits, you meant we had been filming for three days. Mm-hmm. All the men were dressed in white leotard outfits. After about the third day, they called us all in. They said, look, we're going to have to shoot the, the first three days over again. Wardrobe wants to talk to all of you men. They came to us and they told us that we all had to wear uh, cups uh, because in those white outfits. You could see all your business. And that, that has a picture of me floating somewhere on the Internet. Of that, and you sure do. You see, uh, you see all the jewels. Really. So, the rest of the movie, we all had were cod pieces underneath, you know, cups. And you got three extra days, which was good. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I know that one of the first things you did was not even in America; it was in Europe. You went backpacking, and what happened after VCU? I, I was going through a lot of problems. First of all, I was coming out, didn't know how to deal with it, so I put a pack on my back and I jumped on an airplane and flew to Paris. Didn't know the language, didn't know the people, didn't know they had different money. <laughs> I learned really quick. Yeah. So backpacking, I ended up in Rome and I'm at the Trivi Fountain and they're shooting a movie. And I recognize it was Fellini. I get, wow. oh my God, it's Fellini. Footnote. Legendary Italian director Federico Fellini is best known for eight and a half. He also directed this autobiographical memoir, Roma. This red-headed woman standing beside me that was German, she could see I was getting all excited and everything. She said, why are you so excited? I said, that's Fellini. I mean, he's like, God. I mean, he's the biggest director in the world. She went, really? She goes, Ferrico, Ferrico, come over here. I did not know that she was an actress in the movie. (laughs) He walks over and she says, this young American thinks you're like God. And he just looked at me and kind of run it and walked away. She says, why don't you come back tomorrow? And I'll see if I can't get you in the film. I came back the next morning. She introduced me to the AD. And for the next two weeks, I rode around in a school wagon with all these young people. Fellini told us in one shot, he said, I want all of you young people to take off your clothes and get in the fountain and jump around. Fellini said, take your clothes off. I took my clothes off. (laughs) I stood up there. I think about 150 pounds of me then with long curly hair. And I'm stretching. I'm in the movie. Cool. But it is a horrible movie. It is one I of the worst it. movies. You I did? Liked it. Oh, I did like it. Yeah. Oh. 
You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because Bardo, which is out now, which is Inuatu's film, and I compared it to Eight and a Half because it's very similar. Really? It's, a, it's an actor from, so it's interesting that you hated it. But anyway. Well, no, this was Roma. Roma, this no, was, no, I know was, that. But I'm, I can, yeah. no, I didn't, you're right. I compared it to Eight and a Half. I still liked Roma. I remember the, the wonderful ecclesiastical fashion show at the end. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You didn't just leave Europe after you made it in that movie. You went to London and something happened in the theater world. Remember Angie Dahmer? Sure. That was, do you see you? Uh-huh. Ran into Angie Dahmer in uh, Wooden in Amsterdam. And when she saw me, she says, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the two of us decided we were going to go to London and be actors. You know, dumb kids again, you know, but right. it was beautiful. We went to London. We finally found a place that would rent to us as husband and wife. Oh. <laughs> That's a joke, right? Yep. We found out that we could go and see all of these shows for like three pounds. It was nothing. And after each show, we would go backstage and meet the actors. Wow. No one else did that. And here they come out to Lars Olivier. And you go, well, hi, how are you? Corin Redgrave came out. Footnote. Corin Redgrave is an English actor and the brother of Lynn and Vanessa Redgrave. And we, oh, we loved your show. We thought you were great. He said, oh, you American students? Yes, yes. And then he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're trying to find you know, a way to make a living and everything. He said, well, I need a dresser. My dresser quit. Would you be my dresser? I didn't know what a dresser was, <laughs> but I said, yes. And so the next day, here I am, this dresser that was leaving taught me what to do. I ended up working for Corn Redgrave as his dresser. For how long? Oh, I think about six months. Okay. Only reason I left London is that I became ill from eating fish and chips. And I had to... <laughs> That's the only thing I could afford. Oh, wow, so it, wow. during the time, though, I met a lot of people from Hollywood. And one of them told me, they said, you should come to Hollywood if you ever get a chance. And that's how I ended up going to Hollywood. And there's such a list of all the things you've worked on. I know one of the ones was you worked on The Love Boat when Andy oh. Warhol was on it. You, you oh. got to meet him? Oh, I, more than that. Uh, <laughs> excuse me? I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, working on The Love Boat, uh, I was young. I was nice looking. Uh, blonde curly hair. I wore those great little white suits, you know. And Andy Warhol came to be like the 100th star on the show. And so people were all over him, just all over him. Right. And I watched, you know, standing off to the side. Like the second day, that was like a, a moment when he was by himself. And I went over to him and I said, don't, do you ever get tired of all of this? He said, yeah, I do. I said, would you like to see Los Angeles without that? He says, when are we going? Oh, wow. I said, well, here's my phone number. That night, I get a call from Andy. He said, we're going to Mrs. Wong's. Footnote. Mrs. Wong's was a famous rock punk club in Los Angeles. Would you like to go? Of course I would. And a limousine picked me up. Wow. So for the next, I think it was like the next two weeks, I was Andy's friend. Wow. He was so, he was very interesting. He was asexual. I asked him all about, you know, the craziness around him. And he said, I do nothing. He says, I'll allow them to do it all. I just stand back. Right. So I gave him a painting. I don't know whatever happened to it. And he was very excited. He told me, he said, you know, no one ever gives me a painting. He said, everybody wants me to give them a painting. Of course. Right, right. And later on, he sent me a framed interview magazine where he signed, and he, he always took photographs of everybody. Yeah. And he sent me all these little photographs of myself that he had signed 
and a letter saying, when you get to New York, here's my address, come to see me. All of this, which hung on my wall in LA for like 20 years, and then I sold it to Butterfields and Butterfields. All I got was $300 for it. Wow. You should have kept it. I God, because later on, I saw a napkin of his sold for 23000 Gene has so many great stories to tell, I couldn't fit them all into one show. Next week, he'll fill us in on working with Ellen DeGeneres for five years, standing in for Anthony Hopkins on Thor, being in bed with Anne Margaret, sneaking in to meet Lucille Ball, playing Audie Murphy in Raging Bull, and even more, if you can believe it. There's a link to the things we discussed on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. You People, Jonah Hill and Lauren London confront the expectations of their families, also starring Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and David Duchovny, and created by Kenya Barris. It also drops on Netflix the same day. Infinity Pool. Maya Goth and Alexander Sarsgaard are vacationers who venture outside the resort to find violence and horror. Fear. People express their fears on a camping trip, only to see them come true. TV and streaming. Shotgun Wedding on Amazon. Jennifer Lopez and Josh Dumel are planning a fancy destination wedding when it's hijacked by criminals. Shrinking on Apple from the producers of Ted Lasso. This one stars Jason Segel as a therapist and also features Harrison Ford. Pamela, a love story on Netflix is a documentary on Pamela Anderson. Poker Face on Peacock, Natasha Leone stars as a detective who can tell when someone is lying. She also solves a new case every week, like the old TV shows. Wolfpack on Paramount Plus, a wildfire awakens a werewolf. Sarah Michelle Gellar stars. Lockwood and Company on Netflix, three teenagers unravel a mystery that will change history. And you can subscribe to this podcast on most of the major services by going to tvjerry.com, clicking on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.